Welcome to Dig, a history podcast. No, we have to introduce, gonna lead us introduce in. the episode. Oh, do it. Well, then. yeah, it's okay. So shh, shh, quiet, shh, 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 shh. Quiet in the room. Okay. Um, welcome to this special episode to kick off our series in which we will release our 100th episode as Dig. Woohoo! Woo! We're really excited uh, to be joining you more or less live. I mean, people who are going to be listening to this uh, Sunday and thereafter will not be live, but we have some people who are in this room with us in this weird Zoom quarantine room. Uh, who are like listening to this live action conversation. So our goal for today is to just sort of celebrate this special anniversary. We've been recording together now for um, three years. Actually, today I think is our actual three-year anniversary since we switched up the or when we rebranded to, <laughs> to be Dig. Um, today is specifically? Today. May 1st. That's really oh, cool. How did that work that? out? That's amazing. I know. Because yeah, I plan all things ahead of time. <laughs> three, that, three years. That is insane. Cool. 100 episodes is insane. 100 episodes. Yeah. So I'm very tired is, just thinking about deal. it. Yeah. I know, right? So uh, thanks to those of you, Colin, Elizabeth, and Leah, for joining us today in this uh, live recording. And we're just going to talk about, uh, we're going to answer questions that uh, listeners have submitted ahead of time. So Sarah, kick us off. Can I ask my own question first? Is this the first time we've ever had folks join us like in the room to listen? To listen, yes. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had like... Uh, guests before, a live, a live audience. audience before yeah no, i'm very nervous this is the first um, <laughs> don't f <Yeah>. up <laughs> okay no cursing brought to you oh. by the really no cursing because that's the only thing i say is that's true what, Gabriel, April? are you all right sorry my dog just came rising down the stairs like a fucking bat out of hell <laughs> so actually that is like very on brand <laughs> that we have at some point a dog. Your dog. Specifically your dog. Yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> In an episode somewhere. All right. Are we ready for yeah. our first real question? This is a very difficult question. How did you all meet? Who wants to go first? <laughs> well, Mer or Sarah, you were the first at the university, so you should probably lead us off. Oh, the first at UB, you mean? Yeah. You were oh, there God. before any of us. I've been at UB for like my entire life and I'm never leaving. Uh, hopefully, anyway. Um, I don't know. I started in 2011. Is that when you started the me? master's program? Yeah. No. I started the master's program in 2007. Yeah. Because I started I'm the old. PhD in 2010, man. Yeah. Mm, so. Okay. Um, no, no, no. Okay. I would have been 2009. I started my master's. Never mind. You were first. Because uh, I'm very old. Um, very old. So I met. Averill at some point during our PhD orientation. Mm -hmm. um, but I was very standoffish. I will put the blame on me for a long time. I was, 
I was really, I don't know, I, was, I, I don't think I make <laughs> friends particularly quickly, or I used to. Um, I was very standoffish. I was one of, I think, I think I was at the time the only uh, graduate student in our department who had kids, had kid at the time, which seems like a dream. I wish I only had kid right now. I have multiple kids. Um, <clears throat> but so we didn't really hang out. We ran the um, GHA or you ran the GHA and I just showed up to stuff for a while. Um, 2011. Till, that was the year yeah. that Marissa mm-hmm. started. And then we sort of became friends. Actually, once we really once we got into the dissertation phase um, and we had to sort of lean on each other more for, you know, that kind of writing support. And we started our writing group and everything. Marissa, I met. <laughs> I no, met wait, you. Wait, wait, let me do my. Oh, I'm- go ahead. I met Marissa first. Yes, because I, I didn't meet you. I didn't no. meet you for a while. No, Marissa, the summer before she was going to start the PhD program, which was two years after Sarah and I started, she sent yeah. me this email. Oh, no. Asking if we could. Oh, my God. Is she? Are you pulling the email up or something? No, I don't have that email <laughs> okay. anymore. She sent me an email asking right. if we could meet because she was really nervous about the program and she just wanted to like get a feel for what to expect. So we met at Barnes and Noble and she talked for a thousand years on brand as they Very. say and yeah. i knew from that moment that here we had something special a budding <laughs> friendship with uh me being a rock shut up and except i had a baby with me and everyone was like ew what is that thing i did i did think me. that but i didn't say it out loud true yeah yeah so i met april first and then i met sarah kind of through hanging out with yeah april, um, i was gonna say we, and- we met at one of the gha meetings um excuse me yes. gha picnic mm-hmm. um because yeah. you asked me some question i had emma there and you asked me some really weird <laughs> some really weird like breastfeeding question or something and i was like oh you were like oh isn't she walking by now or something and i was like what i can't and i was like i remember being like this bitch <laughs> oh i remember i said i was like is she sitting up yet and you were like no she was i don't um, know how she was like i don't that's know four months old or something i was like are you crazy mm. um i wasn't trying to be one of those people but I see i didn't know marissa then and now if marissa asked me that i'd be like it's just marissa um yeah but yeah and then we became friends pretty quickly because we had the kid thing in common um and then in the background of all of this because yes elizabeth you must have started the year after I started the master's program in 2012 right yeah so the same year that Marissa started the PhD but you were like this tall (gasps) beautiful glamorous yes like quiet but also powerful Mm -hmm. she'd walk into the grad lounge like like, oh my god she's so horrifying goddess who just like walked in and out of the grad lounge while we're all sitting in there like eating our snacks and gossiping and crying And, and she had like those, you know, bangs, the, bangs. the Betty Page bangs. Oh my god! Yeah. And, yeah. Oh my god! Y'all are making me feel like embarrassed. Or, no. no, it was great. <laughs> no, we were like, we were like, like, damn, I used to did be hot, and now. Like, <laughs> well, and I talked to all you. Downhill. <laughs> Do you remember me talking to you in the hallway? Like, I just because I just don't, I don't mind talking to anybody. So I was just like, hey, what's up? What's your name? And you said something like, well, I have kids or something. And I was like, oh, I do too. And you're like, oh, okay. And then we talked for a bit. Um, I don't know if you remember that. I was sitting right outside. I don't remember that. I I I know I remember meeting you in our colonial Latin American seminar. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we all met. 
Oh, at grad so, school. Long yeah. story to short. To summarize that long and boring <laughs> and winding story is that we all met at the grad program at UB, yeah. at University yeah. of Buffalo, while we worked on our PhDs. Yeah. But I think... Uh, and we formed yeah. some sort of, like, mommy cult or something. Uh, no. Yeah. We've I mean... known as the mommy cult. No. We weren't I, really because April hates kids, I so... I hate yeah. children. Plus one. Yeah. I don't know. Please. You're all my cult. That's what the important thing is. Yeah. <laughs> but it, we worship at the altar of It's age. interesting, though, how, um, you know, you look at that. I look at that time and it doesn't like going through it. It didn't seem like a very long time, uh, you know, as you're kind of experiencing it. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, Avril, you and I started graduate school together 10 years ago. Shh, um or almost 10 years ago, right? And so it's interesting to think that, like, there were times where the four of us were not friends. Or or we were maybe acquaintances. Like, we saw each other at, like, you know, Plesser, uh, yeah. the Plesser graduate I don't conference. think it was until the podcast yeah. that we that we all not, became No, I don't think friends. so either. Like, we, we knew each yeah. other. I mean, we knew each other, and some of us were closer than others. But, like, Elizabeth especially, like... I had never really had a conversation with you, I don't think, a real conversation until we started. And for me, and I know to an extent for some of y'all, like going through grad school, you know, I'm almost a decade older than most grad students. So it was just a whole different... You know, I just wasn't interested in hanging out yeah. necessarily. Yeah. You know, no, and and sitting on somebody's floor and drinking right. beer. Right, and that's why I say, <laughs> like, like at the beginning, that. I was... I was probably standoffish. I think part of that was self-protection because I did have a kid and I was afraid of um, people, I don't know, judging that, especially April. <laughs> Please, you um, didn't know I hated children until long after they were actually until she. No, I think it had more to do with you just seemed like such a powerhouse um, that I thought there was no way that I could ever kind of keep up. But um you know, you, my experience anyway was very, was similar, Elizabeth, you know, you, you have kids and your, your life is very different. You're kind of at a different life exactly. stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll drag you along. You can keep up cause you'll be, I'm going to hold you by the hand and pull you. It's true. We're done. <laughs> she doesn't give you an option. True. All right. Um, this question actually kind of goes along with that question. I tried to, <laughs> I tried to like put them in chronological order. Um, how did you get started? So I'm ge- I'm interpreting that question to mean how did we get started as a podcast? How did we get started as Dig yeah. specifically? Um, although we do have a little bit of a longer history than that. But yeah, how did we get started? How did we get started? Well, in 2015, 2015 <clears throat> I put out a call on that damn grad listserv. And uh, some people responded, and among them was this magnificent Enigma unicorn called Elizabeth Garner Masaryk, and then my two buddies, Marissa and Sarah. Well, actually, Marissa and Sarah did not respond to the email. No, they, they did, did not. not respond. <laughs> I don't. And then read I was like, "Oh, listserv emails." Okay, yeah. I have too much. Listen, I was like, I was like I nine hundred oh, months we're... pregnant. Shh, quiet we're gonna we're gonna start a podcast and we're gonna record this and marissa and sarah were like oh, we want to be part of that include us and so then i did include them in the following emails and then we started just like playing around with audio and what kind of things we liked to listen to as podcast listeners and we started making episodes and they were like bad for a year and then they were kind of good for a year and then we branched off and started dig in 2017 and it 
has been really good because we were made for this life. Yes. That's yeah, I mean, more... I think that um, one of the things that was was different going into Dig um, after our first project was that we had had we kind of shut things down um, and instead we kind of took this um, sort of we took the summer off right before we released our first episodes Mm -hmm. and that gave us a ton of time to meet and really talk through what we wanted to be and what we wanted to do so that when we did launch in the fall we had like a very clear um we had like a business yeah, plan. Yeah, exactly. You know? We had a, a clear sort of vision of of what kind of podcast we were and what kind of history we wanted to do and how we were going to be organized. All things that we had not done <laughs> the first time right. around. Well, right. So in giving advice to people who are thinking about starting some kind of project like this, start one, learn your learn and make your yeah. mistakes and then <laughs> do the real thing. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, like a garbage one, a garbage practice. One. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And that's why um, for those of you who um, listen, you know, sort of or have listened for a long time, sometimes you'll see us like re-release an episode. That's because a lot of times it's an episode that we really loved, but we did so long ago that we did it like before we were having transcriptions or having copy that we could post um, or before we had microphones like we have now. So we were or like or before we had people who would actually do the work they were supposed to do to prepare to do the episode. Well, that too. Um, But, uh, you know. So every once in a while, we're like, oh, like recently Frankenstein, right? We were like, oh, man, Frankenstein was such a great episode. And it made us sad to think that it was kind of out there, but nobody was listening to it because the audio was so bad and the organization was terrible. So like it, it's it been kind of cool in recent days to take what we know now and take those old episodes and kind of revamp them and re-release them. Yeah, I do remember recording Frankenstein the first time in sarah's guest room closet yeah sarah and marissa mm-hmm. in that and i even farted at one point yes too, it was terrible which is like really and if i recall <laughs> was... if i recall correctly there was also two breastfeeding infants in that room with mm-hmm. us because who were just like who were just like lying every once in a while there'd know. be like a <laughs> noise yeah <laughs> yep of a baby being like rooting around exactly. for a boob or something and then we'd have to stop and everyone would be like oh my god kids are so disgusting yeah. and then we'd start again yep. yeah we don't record like that anymore <laughs> that's why we record well, with my dog in my house right no children yeah here. yeah Ave, keep making sure you're you're facing the microphone when you talk i hear your voice going in and yeah, out yeah, yeah, see yeah. you're the bo- big boss lady see you're not perfect either you jerk right all right. Um, anything else about how we started that you guys want to reflect on the the first, like the beginning? No, I mean, our first project, what um, history buffs was really, you know, I think, I mean, I'm proud of that, despite the fact that we turned out some subpar stuff. Um, we were just I babies. We did a, yeah, and we did a really good job of like figuring out what the heck we were doing right um, yeah we had zero experience zero training we just dove in head first and figured it out along the way yeah right and i think it was a really tough call to to kind of end that project and start a new one but i am really glad that we did um during that transitional period was a bit um 
there's a lot of there's some drama and and it was just difficult to end that project and to start yeah like it would be one. any kind of you know any kind yeah, of yeah right. adventure yeah. we were breaking up the band yeah but i'm glad <laughs> on a solo we... act with four people <laughs> that's not really solo in... behind the music <gasps> Except in Behind the Music, it's always like, and then the Beatles broke up and Paul McCartney started Wings. <laughs> like, it's not, yeah. it's not great. <laughs> Isn't it always like, oh, it's Yoko Ono's fault. That's like, because it's always the woman's fault, right? Thread of that. Yeah. Um, um, I, I was, okay. I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, I, I, I just, I, I think very fondly of the kind of very beginning of Dig partly because we had that really fun day where we were like we need to have a photo shoot so we have promotional <laughs> images oh, we all yeah. went to elizabeth's house and like we were all dressed to the nines and like took a bunch of pictures and um we should probably do that we again we really should that. update that <laughs> we should, we... um but it was just it was really exciting and it was really fun to start this project and to have so many ideas bouncing around and um what i think is really great is that that um that was three years ago and we still have that energy you know we still have that commitment to the project and sometimes we're like oh fuck my life it's copy week but at the same time you know i i wouldn't trade that Mm-mm. i'm always glad when it's written yes. and done <laughs> we can be more enthusiastic after the copy is written uh during copy week less so <clears throat> yeah for sure i mean i think i'm kind of different in that i of course often don't have time to do copy week so i'm like freaking out like how am i going to make this happen but i genuinely enjoy writing it for some yeah. reason like even when i'm really stressed out obviously you all enjoy looking into the topics you look into but um when you're really stressed out sometimes it's not enjoyable because you right. can't relax and enjoy it and for some reason it's always been an escape to me mm-hmm. i mean especially when i was trying to not write my dissertation i'd be like oh yeah i'm gonna do mm-hmm. this episode about whatever mm-hmm. um so it's nice to be able to get out of our little, I don't know, academic boxes. Sometimes. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. No, I don't agree. <laughs> right. It's I like nope. It. I want to be Every in my box. Every word is just like pride out of me with like <laughs> cold, slimy hands. Yeah, we have different <laughs> approaches. Really, or it's have, really difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just how it's just how we're different, you know. And Elizabeth's like really good at the businessy side and being like, I don't know, professional and having a filter and all of these adult the things that yes. I don't know how to do. Word. Yeah. Next. Okay. <clears throat> how did you guys juggle completing your PhDs and writing, recording, and editing a podcast? <laughs> I mean, okay, so I just defended almost a month ago. Yay! And so about exactly a year ago now, like I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit it all. I was ready to walk away. Like it was just a really low point. Um, And I think that happens a lot of time in like people's third year or like that next to last year. It's like, there's just this breakthrough you have to make. And Mm -hmm. then once, you know, once I pushed through that, it all just kind of came out. And honestly, for the last year I have shut down. I, I had to get off social media. I had to get off everything. And because I knew I wasn't going to finish if I didn't. Um, so for me, maybe it wasn't a balance at all. It was like, <laughs> for for the past year, it's just been academia. So I don't know if I've been I'm the best person right. to say. It's more but... of like a sprint and then a walk instead yeah. of just a steady jog. But, you know, in a way, I mean, for all of us, you know, it is a marathon. And like 
some weeks are Let's copy. See, see how far we can push this analogy. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, some week is copy week, and it's like that's all you do mm -hmm. for three or four days. You're just writing straight your copy because the deadline is Saturday night, you know, and you have no other choice. And then other times, some of us will write one for a month mm -hmm. or two, right? Yeah. I think one way that we all both both in finishing the PhD and just like being early career faculty now is one one way we juggle is by a lot of episodes that we put out have something to do with a chapter or an article or a, a class a lecture right Th that they were drawing from what we are doing in the other sprints and marathons of our lives mm -hmm. um, and that makes completing the copy a little bit easier for the other stuff like the editing and the recording day and the you know back end blog creation transcript posting and the social media stuff that's just we just have to do it it just mm -hmm. it just is part of the package at this point um so but the at least in terms of putting together an episode there's a lot of times where we can just it can, it can be part of what we're doing elsewhere mm -hmm. so i'm gonna be 100 that bitch and say that i think one of the reasons i can do it is because i have a really supportive partner and i mean if i had a husband who like i don't know had an ego or like felt like um you know i don't know felt like this time wasn't worth it or whatever or felt like i should be you know the woman taking care of the kids and he, he should be able to fuck off and do whatever if i had a partner like that i don't know if i could do it um obviously i don't my... really see you married to a partner like no that. i don't either. You're, no. you're you're like talking about yeah. hypothetical yeah a hypothetical <laughs> complete asshole but yeah just some stupid incel but um no i'm just saying um i have a partner who I think admires what I do and is impressed by what I do because he couldn't do it, um, even if he tried. So he is 99% of the time really supportive and doesn't give me shit. Like tomorrow is his birthday and he's working tomorrow. So today is his only day off around the time of his birthday. And I'm not eating dinner with my family or spending time with them. I'm down here doing whatever. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's okay with it. He's just hanging out upstairs. You know, that kind of thing. Like... He makes it so that, um, I don't know, I guess I can be kind of a crappy wife and or mom sometimes or, you know, at least that's how I feel. Um, they give me a lot of grace, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, that's flexibility. So nice. I know. <laughs> no, I think that's a really important point that, you know, um, a lot of this is accomplished because we have, you know, people who are willing to let us pursue the things that we want to pursue. Uh, and, you know, that said... I have had I have had arguments with my husband before where he's been like, oh, well, you're just going to play with your friends because mm -hmm. we are friends. And so it can very mm -hmm. easily look like we're not actually this is not actually work. This is not actually labor. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's it's not just I mean, I, I think it's easy to say that about the podcast, but it's easy to say that about lots of academic work. Right. That like because we're not digging a ditch. It doesn't look like we're working. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, right. And yeah. so that and we're can... doing it from home a lot of times. Yeah. And so when I'm like, well, I have to go to Averill's house for six hours today. I think that that sometimes <laughs> can be, you know, like 
it, it makes sense to me. I don't, I don't buy it and I don't let him get away with it. But I, you know, it makes sense to me that at some points when, you know, you're frustrated, you might be like, well, you're just going to hang out with your friends all day. And I'm like, you don't understand. This is that that's not actually what this is. I mean, it is what it is. Cause like we do take a break and like eat soup together, but like <laughs> we're also working. Um, but I mean, I always, I actually always dread this question. This is a question that I get all the time when I go talk about dig or lots of other things. Um, but I don't like to answer it because my answer is usually not the right one, which is that I, I work too much probably. Um, Sorry if you can hear that. That's my stupid dog barking because it's dinner time and my children are ignoring him. Um, but I I probably work too much and I probably work when I should be hanging out with my kids. I mean, all of my kids right now are in the basement watching TV because I was like, don't even talk to me right now. Go away. Right. So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in a way, that's probably not the best thing. Like I should be... I, there's that's some what I scenario meant about, like, in which I should be yeah. like, I only record after I make multi-course meals for my family and like <laughs> make, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know, maybe. Or like I set up my children with, you know, homeschooling tasks right. and or, I went and nipped out and recorded yeah. for a while. And no, I, I, that's not, that's not how I function. But that also, like you said, Marissa, like that, um, that was part of the deal from the beginning with me that, um. Mm-hmm. We, my husband and I both said we wanted to have lots of kids and I'm holding up my end of the bargain. If you could see me, you would know. Um, but also that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work and I'm going to work all the time. Think, and I'm thankful I have a different kind of partner, but um, my partner is also someone who's very driven and very ambitious. And so we think a lot alike in that way. We understand, you know, when it's a Saturday night and I'm writing copy and he's writing hearing reports you know, we're just, that's how, that's how we are, you know? So, yeah, I think my situation is different in that my husband is not ambitious and, and I don't mean that as a criticism. He would say that about himself. Right. He, he wants to be a stay at home dad and never, ever have to leave the house at the end. That's like what his, I would he wants die. his life to be. <laughs> and I know. So, what, and, and he knows that. So I told him before we had kids, like, I can't be staying home all the time. Like I will lose my mind. Yeah. I am not a homebody. I need to be out of the house and you know, um, I am ambitious and I'm always working on the next big thing and that's what it's going to be like. And so even though I think Sarah and James um, have that in common, my husband and I are complete opposites in that sense and we kind of complement each other. It sounds very corny, but it works for us, I guess. Yeah. Next question? Sure. I like this question a lot, and I'm really interested in everybody's responses to it because I sort of know where people are gonna, where people, what people are gonna say. But I'm interested in hearing you guys articulate it. Okay, when <laughs> when researching, do you guys always interpret sources the same way, or do you sometimes have debates? And so I'm actually gonna add sort of a like an addendum to that question, which is like what. Um, what sort of perspective do you take when you're putting together an episode? Like, how do you think about framing an episode? I think because we each do that differently. Yeah, we each. So the fact that we we are each writing and researching our own episodes, we're not working on episodes together necessarily means that there isn't necessarily a ton of times when we come up against that potential conversation. But, you know, there have been times when like 
will be reading something and some and I'll say, you know, X, Y, and Z according to this source. And then someone will be like, oh, is that is that what that means? Um, or like when Sarah and I had like this passive aggressive sub debate about the usefulness of talking about the walking <laughs> dead as an analogy for I, I was know, so pissed about that I still am disease and something I don't even know what we're talking about I you know like it was it went on for a really long time I ended up cutting it out of the episode because it was just ridiculous um it's a useful so, analogy <sighs> sure okay sure I think um, most of our debates and conversations um, come about when we are putting the series together, not when we're putting our episodes together. Um, and that always, um, usually I'm complaining about something or wanting to change something because that's what I do. <laughs> and Sarah's saying, man, it'll be fine because that's what Sarah does. And um, then Avril just says, well, we're doing this. And then I do it. And so I think that would be when we have debates, like what should the shape of the series be? So if we're doing, um, you know, another sex series or whatever, a couple of people will say, hey, I'm going to do this because I have to teach it next fall and I want to do double duty and, you know, double dip on this. And um, then another one of us will say, well, we wanted to do this, but it's there's too much American stuff going on. So I'll do something totally different. That sort of thing. We, we try to get coverage and then we also try to have them co cohed, cohed. What's the, why can't I think of the word? Be cohesive. Cohere. 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 Cohere is the word I was, I, I talk faster than I think. So, um, we want them to cohere. Uh, but we also want there to be some diversity and, you know, we have a lot of things that, we want some to be kind of like deep dives and then we want others to be more surveys. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So when we decide what we're going to focus on and we pick our episodes um, revolving around a th whatever theme we've chosen, I think that's when most of that discussion and debate comes mm -hmm. comes in. I think every once in a while we will run into something and I wish that I could come up with a great example right now and I can't, but where – especially between Marissa and I, where I'm like, this thing happened in the 19th century and it was very oh, yeah. important. And Marissa's like, fuck that. It already happened in the 18th century. <laughs> you know, like, no, 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 no. People, people were doing I, that a hundred years before. You're such a 19th century American. Early right? modern anything than I ever would have learned had I not done this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And medieval. Sorry. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah that, I think that's just one of my things is like, you know, I don't pretend to be a 19th century expert or uh, an, a, an expert on you know 19th century American history or I do. Gilded Age progressive era like Elizabeth. Like I'm not they know more than me about that stuff. A hundred percent. But I guess I just get um, annoyed. I think when you're um, in academia, if you're not an Americanist, you are whatever you yeah. are. And then everything That's else. The so we have Americanists who teach American America. history, and then you have right. Is there a problem? And then you have you have Europeanists who teach European history and world history. Yeah. That's just kind of how it's set up in the United States because we're American. So yeah. American history is what is of most interest to people. Um, so because of that, Avril and I are always trying to get the two of them to expand their their I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, horizons, right? One of the um, things that we decided to do right from the beginning was to to do understudied topics, or at least not understudied topics, but topics that don't show up on history podcasts, right? Um, and as part of that, that means having 
uh, a global focus. That means that not every series can have something from the eight, mid-19th century, something from the Gilded Age Progressive Era, something from 18th century England, and something from 20th century Ireland. Like, that's not sustainable. And nobody, it would be boring. I mean, although I say that, and there are people out there who, like, sorry, fans, who, like, listen to, you know, 15-hour-long podcasts about one pope, right? So <clears throat> yeah, there's an audience for everything. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, we've all learned to push our own sort of specialty boundaries a little bit. And that's that's only helped me. That's mm-hmm. made me a better teacher by far. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I ask, too, though, in terms of, I mean, that was kind of interpreting. But, like, what, um, how do each of us go about kind of conceiving of an episode? Like, um, how you'll put it together because each of us, I think, do that differently. I don't know. I think I tend to go, let me see all the things that might mention this one thing that I'm kind of interested about. And then I uh-huh. try to pull all that together into some sort of cohesive narrative, um, successfully or unsuccessfully. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like you'll Thanks. take sort of a, a question that you have, like, yeah. where did the term Le Petit More come from? Mm-hmm. And you'll go through 15 sources or 20 sources or 25 sources trying to answer that question. You yeah, don't know yeah. the answer to it when you start often. I, I almost never do the thing where you take a book and then build your narrative out of that the way that I think Elizabeth and Sarah do a lot. I do, I do that. Right. I do that a lot. Yeah, we do inductive. Yes, I mean, we do deductive. She says this like all the time. I'm, I still really like likes to make up words. Um, no, you know, those are I just real words. Find a book, and I'm like, I want to center a podcast around this. And then other times, I have a whole bunch of, yeah. you know, different right. sources. Yeah. No, you're definitely a mixed bag. I yeah. wouldn't say that you are more like Sarah, particularly yeah. one or the other. But Avril and I, I think, are pretty similar, and a lot of that has to do with. The fact that we don't teach American history necessarily, so we have to be generalists. So I think that's where that comes from. We, that's exactly what I do. I have like, I mean, for the last episode we just recorded, I printed off because I had to print them on my own printer and with my own paper and my own toner. Um, I printed off like eighteen different articles, and then I had like three or four eBooks. Yeah. Um, and I read probably half of those articles entirely. But I mean, even when we use one book, we're not e-books. only using one Whereas, book. Like we might, we might frame well, it with right, one right. book, and no, then have I'm like not, ten articles and three was... <laughs> other books that we're citing. Or... Right. Right, but you're starting with the idea that that you get from the book, mm-hmm. right? No, I'm not saying that we do more work. I'm saying that we're starting with all of these very disparate things mm-hmm. and trying to create a narrative that wasn't already there, and then you're starting with a narrative that was already there and trying to deepen it mm-hmm. and explore it in different ways. It's just a different way of yeah of writing episodes. Yeah, I mean, I I usually. Uh, I often have started from one book because for 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 whatever reason I have the book on my nightstand or it's like I really need to like for instance when we did the ghost dance episode I just I just wanted to know more about that like I didn't actually have a reason for it necessarily um but then once I got into it I found one book that just like sort of blew my mind and it ended up really focusing on that even though I did bring in lots of other things but then other times I think, and I think the episodes end up 
just because of the way I write, end up kind of all looking very similar. But um, like just the episode that we did, um, what even did I do? I can't remember. Oh, VD um, in the military. That was, like Marissa said, that was many articles and mm-hmm. several yeah. different books. Um, but it still yeah. is like very tightly focused on one thing. And so it's still kind of guided by a, a narrative that I already have in my mind a little bit. Um, but it's kind of bringing Sarah more has a very organized together. brain. <laughs> I don't works. know if that's true. But um, I think you do. <clears throat> you you put everything in this kind of uni- unified sort of narrative that just everything just makes sense. And then I think I'm a little bit more like all this crazy shit that doesn't relate to each other. How am I going to make it relate? Like, it's just a different way of thinking. And I think that this is interesting because this is true of our scholarship, too. Like, all four of us have very different ways that we approach our own writing and our scholarship. And, like, I am just – I'm very narrative-driven. I like like stories, and I like having things sort of told in that way. And so my episodes end up being kind of that same sort of story-focused, I guess – I think Whereas, that, also, that also might be discipline focused because like I tried to do that for the last article that I wrote and the reviewer who <laughs> no. outside reviewer was like, no, take this back. Yeah. No, I, yeah, you have more, right. you more an, an, you know, like analytical section. Yeah. Like, it doesn't oh, work. That's how Europeanists yeah. don't want that. Yeah. They don't want right. some kind of narrative. They want very, very analytical. They want statistics. They want, I think it has to do with the availability of source material. I mean, we're dealing with hundreds of extra years of bureaucratic records and crap going on in Europe than we actually have in the United States. So I think it has to do with the the availability of source material and then just how the cultures of those particular fields have ended up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I do both. I do I do comparative. So I do both and both tell me that I suck, you know, for one reason or another. Not that I suck, but both have criticisms that go against each other. And it's like, okay, well with the baby in half I guess I don't know sorry I'm talking to Ross Perot I think now you have to explain okay. that <laughs> like, yeah uh, my, I think as one does my uh my summon senior seminar is um is playing a reacting to the past game centered on the debates around the Vietnam memorial and so because we are asynchronous, it's happening on Slack, and my students tend to wake up round about two. <laughs> right. So, like, just as I'm ready to, like, okay, it's time to end the day, they're like, let's have a fierce debate on Slack. It's really I cute. actually, I have, my students are doing um, react, reaction to the past, um, just like, a, it's called, it's about the Battle of Jumonville Glen, and... Um, they have a six o'clock deadline. So just now they delivered, the French delivered terms of um, surrender to the English and I'm supposed to say things and they're all waiting for me, but they'll have to wait. It's fine. It'll be fine. Yes. All right. Are we ready for another question? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this one's funny. Um, can you give... A future history exam question about today's current political situation that five years ago would have sounded like a satirical piece on SNL. For example, which president advised drinking bleach during a global pandemic? (laughs) Was that Nixon? (laughs) Can I tell a really quick story? I had my students do 
some of those implicit bias tests that Harvard does. I don't know if you've ever heard. It's called Project Implicit. And I had them do these tests to kind of gauge some of their implicit biases in my digital humanities class. And one of the implicit biases was political figures, but the only choices were Trump and Nixon. And so my student was like, my results said that I slightly favor Trump over Nixon. And I was like, those are your only two choices out of all the people, you know, out of all the political figures in U.S. history. They're like, let's compare Trump and Nixon and see who you like more. I mean, Nixon, <laughs> obviously. Nixon. Nixon was actually a great president. What are you talking about? Well, He's my favorite okay. president. Calm down. I actually have a friend who, I, I, hopefully she'll listen to this, but she's very, she's like, she's one of the most liberal people I know and she loves Richard Nixon. On, on no, some, I mean, because he was great on stuff. some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the EPA. Sure. Some stuff. The EPA. EPA the EPA and also Native American like, rights. Yeah. yeah. Creep. Come on. That's a really great acronym. That's like, true. That's true. Yes, anyway. Admit it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm dorking out, but you know, I, this, this actually raises for me, I will answer the question, but this raises for me the fact that it is really, you can believe this, fucking hard to do a podcast where we focus on the topics that we focus on and try to keep it unpolitical or non-political or apolitical or however you phrase that. Um, and we've gotten blowback for that. Like people, when whenever we do have something that intersects and sometimes we do it on purpose and sometimes we don't. We have a topic that intersects with something that's happening, right? Um, people will be like, you guys are feminist, <laughs> you know, liberal feminists, social justice warriors. Social justice warriors. Yeah. Um, and I think a certain level of that would come either way just because we are women. Um, mm-hmm. And we talk about the topics we talk about, which are inherently political. You can't talk about them and and um, have them be unbiased or unpolitical. But um, it's it's tricky because sometimes we'll write an episode like, for instance, that that rape in early America episode that I did. I wrote that while I was steaming hot with rage over the Kavanaugh hearings. Like uh, every every paragraph writing that made me want to cry. Um, but then in delivering it. I had to sort of uh, put that episode together in a way that didn't make it all about Kavanaugh, because that's not a responsible way necessarily to do history. We can draw parallels. We can talk about right. what we can learn. But we can't be like, isn't right. this exactly like Brett Kavanaugh? Because it was 200 years ago or something, right? Um, if I was going to write a future history exam question based on things that were happening today, my I can't say exactly mm. what it would be, but... It would have to do with masculinity and the role that masculinity is playing, like, at this exact moment in the way that this administration is handling this pandemic. Um, I was really struck the other day by Mike Pence's decision not to wear a mask. And I think a lot of that comes from a certain Trumpian brand of manhood um, and the performance of manhood, particularly. So... I look forward to someday reading that dissertation. So smart. Somebody's going to write a killer dissertation on this. <laughs> it won't be me. <laughs> I think mine would be also similar, just about gender relations. Probably something about about incels. Yeah. Um, and the the ridiculous um, 
sort of idea of involuntary celibacy and how it is um, statistically correlated with violence and also associated with white nationalism and all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think my question, I, I can't exactly <laughs> articulate what that question would be, um, but it would be about that. I mean, and I think that future historians will probably be able to argue that this is a crisis in masculinity that's happening um, that is specific to um, the, I don't know, technological age or whatever people are going to call this, like when computers transform society. I don't know. Um, uh, and look at, you know, Reddit things of, of incels who, you know, were planning to rape women and shit like that mm. and look back and say, like, what in the world is going on yeah. here? And how, did, you know, did that work? Right. And also Facebook and Twitter algorithms and bots um, taking over Facebook, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I just had, a, a like, something that was removed as hate speech because I said that men don't wash their hands and that they suck. And <laughs> Facebook was like, absolutely not. That's unacceptable. Um, but I was commenting on an article by a public health official who said that women shouldn't do the shopping during COVID because they take too long. And, you know, so then I responded to that and Facebook was like, absolutely not. Your anti-man stuff is not welcome here, right? Um, those sorts of ways of policing people's behaviors, I think, will be something that sound absolutely ridiculous in the future um, when we ask them on test questions. <laughs> Elizabeth, Averill? I mean, my question would probably be not so satirical as real because i i want to know how students five years from now think that the covid pandemic and the subsequent like quarantining and all that will have changed society or not changed society like how how roaring 20s are we going to be in 2025 like yeah is this going to be and like how austerity is some folks are going to go and decadence are some folks are going to go and like what the fuck is going to happen right in the next five years well and of course bringing in questions of government and like you know are we looking are we going to have some kind of governmental revolution like during the depression and the yeah yeah you know the new deal or or right are we going to go the opposite and go mm -hmm. the way of austerity and right no i think those are really good questions i mean i think that's also why we're seeing like five bajillion op-eds right now being right. written by every historian that has time yeah including leah um trying to think about those questions, right? Like, are we going to have a, the dance macabre of 2021, right? Or um, the Great Gatsby sort of approach to life? Or um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about was I had grandparents who were raised during the Great Depression. And one was a, a straight up hoarder. Um, and the other just like saved every plastic butter container that he ever encountered because they were useful, right? His yeah. garage was just rewashing Ziploc bags, uh, which I do because I do that yeah. too. Um, well, I do. Okay, that too, you're but... all lunatics, but no. there was, but that was an experience that that they went through. Oh my god, <laughs> that was an experience they went through as little tiny kids, right? 
and that um, got into their bones in some sort of way uh, and affected the rest of their lives in in kind of small, silly ways, but in big, profound ways, too. So I'm really interested in a I'm interested and I'm also kind of sad to think about, you know, when my kids are adults in 20 years, like. Mm -hmm. What will what will their memories of this time period be and how will it have impacted yeah. their lives, the way that they live day to day, right? Although yeah. I think that that's upsetting you, to me. Neither of your children will have experienced what your grandparents experienced in terms of scarcity, right? Because Oh no, right. Yeah, we also have jobs right now. Like we have mm -hmm. paychecks, but there are many, many families in this country right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Can't yeah. fill up a cart at the grocery store with like two hundred dollars worth of groceries to stock up, right? They're like right. Yeah. they've got the little hand basket and they've got a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread if they were lucky enough to find mm -hmm. one and maybe a couple of cans, right? And like, twelve hundred dollars from mm -hmm. the Trump administration to you know to shop on. Right. Sure. Yeah. My real question though is gonna be is twenty twenty one the year for me to start my cult? <laughs> sure. we do want to start a cult but i'm gonna join it and then we're gonna go live on a yes. commune somewhere in rural central new york some like area so that is blessed by the spirit yeah some somehow. burned over district and then village exactly <laughs> and we'll all have different houses that will you know we'll be like all on the same mm -hmm. lot but mm -hmm. all different mm -hmm. houses so we have you some mean we're not gonna be whatever. sister wives but then well we are but we're gonna be uh, well, I don't know. But, but I no like single guy. We'll just husbands. Yeah, we can do just, that. No, I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Just, yeah. No husbands. Just the white just, part. Um, just the white. Oh, oh, yeah. Then fine. Yeah. Cut out the middle. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Are you ready for the next one? What has podcasting taught you about your approach to communicating history to the general public? Podcasting has changed the way that I do history the way that I tell history stories the way that I teach the way that I uh, think about the value of history right it's not it's not something that I that's stuck in a classroom it's it's for everyone mm -hmm. and everyone needs it mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely making it more of a of an everyday and accessible element and you know i learning how to tell a narrative better right and learning how to be a better storyteller and i don't have that down but like it's a constant thing that i'm working on and i don't think without having to put it in this type of medium i would have ever really thought about it as deeply as i think about it now and so every mm -hmm. time i'm writing an episode I feel like I'm getting a little closer to that to that Sarah ideal of being a really good kind of storyteller. But, you know, it, it has to be engaging, you know, mm -hmm. and it has to be accessible and um, in some way, like, relate to people's lives in some way or another, you know, so that mm -hmm. they, they care. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really key point for me. Um, is that we had to learn how to present things. Like, okay, so let me start that that answer over again by saying that one of the other things that we, um, from the very beginning, said that we wanted to do as a podcast was to translate kind of academic history, like the real work of history, 
and bring it to the public. We wanted to translate that from like, you know, things that are being published by university presses, which this is not a criticism of them, right? But to take that information um, that we think has helped us to grow so much and bring that to people who will otherwise never encounter that stuff, right? Um, I can't tell you how many conversations mm-hmm. I've had with my mom where she's listened to an episode and she said, I had no idea. I've never heard that before. I can't believe that that is something that happened and I never learned it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because there's a disconnect yep. um, that people are constantly working very hard to try to address. Right. There's it, with, you know, we always have that like op-ed written by some fancy historian who's like, we need to get out of our ivory tower. Like, we already are. Like, there's tons of people already doing that. But that disconnect still exi- exists between, like, the scholarship that we're all doing and the public. And so we had to learn not just how to mm-hmm. talk about history to people, because the History Channel does that ostensibly, right? It's just not doing it well. It's not doing it responsibly. Um, and we wanted to tell all the other stuff, right? We didn't want to do, like, 50 episodes about Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> even though I could do that. <laughs> Um, I mean, that sounds like right up your alley, I would, but okay. I would 100% do that. <laughs> I'm Actually, I'm launching my own ep- my own podcast yeah. just on LinkedIn. No. Um, you would do a whole episode just on his underwear I would. or whatever. No, you, you, yeah. this is not a lie. Um, I'm not kidding. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to take all that other stuff, right? So we had to find a way to translate all this other stuff um, into things that people will actually listen to. And this is why I think Marissa's episodes in particular are so brilliant because you take things that uh-huh. in American history, American populations anyway, have never heard of, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or something that even to me, I'm like, are you really going to do an episode? Like, what was that episode you did that was about like rent or something? <laughs> I can't Wait, what? You did an episode <laughs> that was about something very, oh, it was about advertisements in... Uh, job advertisement, oh, yeah. want ads, employment basically. Agencies, yeah. And I was like, yeah, like the beginning like a very of employment boring episode, right? But no, it was all about like booze. No, it and was. You're right. Prostitutiony kind of weird stuff. If yeah. you pitched that to the History <laughs> Channel, they would say there is no audience for that. No one wants to hear about 18th century want ads, right? Yeah. Um, and but they do though. But they, like I listen to right. other podcasts about true crimes because I, I only listen to true crime podcasts and. They'll talk about crimes in the 1800s. You know, I was just listening to one about the Chicago fire um, in 1871, I think it was. This massive fire. And they're talking about what the context was. Like, oh, well, at the time, fire departments looked like this and building codes looked like this. And they're like, oh, my God, really? People, they were, people were shocked that that's what it was like. Um, And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's all stuff that I I knew from doing my readings and all of that stuff. Um, It's... People do care about that stuff. People are interested in that stuff. I think more. I think that we reach a broader audience than people who are interested in, like, let's go down all of the Roman emperors one by Mm -hmm. one. There are certain people who love that, Mm -hmm. for sure. But I think that we reach people who didn't think they liked history. I mean, I have several Mm -hmm. friends who listen to the podcast religiously who have never listened to any other history podcasts or even liked any history classes and they just listen to it to, like, make me feel better or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now they love it. So, I don't know. I think it's just a different – I think we're reaching people who are not normally reached. Yeah, and who don't think of themselves as history people necessarily, yeah. right? Yeah, um, right, right. And the other thing that I'll say is that 
by learning how to do that, and I learn it more each time I do an episode, but by learning how to do that, it has made me, an, I think, a much better teacher um, because I teach particularly a lot of lecture classes. And so I have I have little choice other than to communicate what I'm trying to teach students through basically what I do in an episode, right? Like talking at people. Um, and so I think I've gotten really good at presenting something that a student might come in the door and be like, why are we talking about this in a way that, um, is, ends up being compelling to them. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and I, um, I'm really grateful for that, 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 you know, it's, it's made me a better educator. And it's made me a better writer. I also like that we don't dumb it down. Right. But we have to, we have one of the ways that it makes me a better writer is that, I can't assume that anyone has any kind of specialization knowledge about any topic that we talk about. So we have to cover a lot in a little bit of time. Yeah. We're bringing, or we're like communicating the analysis that really was well-respected and up and coming historians are uh, putting out in the world that, that, that most regular people who don't have access to an academic library are never going to have access to. Um, And that's what I, I think is one of the most important things that we that we do. So, April, you crossed off a couple of these though that I think that are really interesting. Can I choose just one of the ones that you crossed off? I swear that it's not um, duplicating. Is I'll roll two of them together. Is what is either one historical misconception that you wish people knew about, or what's one interesting thing that you didn't know? about a time period or a topic that that you um, wrote an episode about, that you learned? You asked for permission and then you did it anyway. Yeah, so yeah I did. It's dinner mm-hmm. time. So I learn, I mean, I definitely learned from doing podcasts, but I really learned being paired up with other people. Um, you know, and like, I'm thinking of the underwear episode that you did, Marissa, like, like that was, I loved that episode and I loved doing it. And I learned, you know, so much stuff that I didn't know had I not been on that episode or even like the, what was it like? Good guns, guts, and blood, or it was like the rise of germs and steel. The one, the rise of like medical bureaucracy or something like that. Oh, the yeah, military but, revolution. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I didn't know what a military Jeff revolution Parker. was. So for me, it's like, it's learning from from you guys. Um, and then, of course, when I dive into, you know, a topic that I may know a little bit about, but when I'm doing an episode, like, you know, I, I deep dive into it, which is, of course, nice. But I really like being exposed to, I don't know, some world history that otherwise I just would never, been, you know, venture upon myself or whatever yeah i personally think that you are a european slash world historian at heart because i think your style um is much more similar to the styles of european historians more analytical and less narrative than american historians so i've always thought that it makes you wonder how we choose how we choose our fields I mean, it, make, it makes me wonder that because I think in a lot of ways, like you seem like a Europeanist to me or, you know, I don't know, in certain ways, it's, yeah, nah. it's interesting. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am not. Okay. For me, something that I constantly 
<coughs> sorry, that I constantly impress upon my students, and I think I say a lot in the podcast, is that I think a lot of times our understanding of history, at least at the very, um, at the popular level, so just what your average Joe knows about history, is very so much um, colored by Victorian historians who have kind of understood history in a certain way. Um, And, you know, just like Sarah said, you know, oh, like, um, you know, everybody's kind of in their own little thing. So post-war U.S. historians will say, oh, my gosh, like, during World War II, it's the first time women were in the workforce. It's like, no, women have been in the workforce for fucking ever. It's just the first time they were in the workforce since you know, for 10 years yeah, or whatever. Since World War <laughs> not, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, like since World War One. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think for me, it's um, encouraging people to kind of get out of that box a little bit um, and um, not Victorianize everything. A lot of just regular folks, I, I listen to people who don't have anything to do with history, who do true crime podcasts, and they'll say like, oh, well, back in the day, you know, you couldn't do this or you couldn't do that or people couldn't see your ankles or whatever. It's like, you know what? The 18th century was like one of the raunchiest (laughs) centuries, um, you know, in time. Um, And my mom even called me and said, oh, my God, like, I just watched this because of quarantine. She's just watching Netflix all day. She's like, I just watched this thing about King Louis the 15th. And he just like had sex with people in front of other people and then the men were having sex with other men and like the women welcome were having France. sex with each other and i was like that is literally 18th century france <laughs> yeah. you're welcome like that is literally what it is yeah, yeah. like that is what court life was like yeah. um but she didn't know because yeah. she thought okay well my parents were all prim and proper and they were mm-hmm. you know born in 1930 so obviously before that people were even more prim and right. proper and and um and no, also because people think that it it's um that history moves in a in a linear fashion linear. towards yeah. like freedom <laughs> right mm-hmm. which is not mm-hmm. the case not right the case like it's all. it's actually the jeremy baramy um it's all over the place it, it goes backwards and forwards and things progress and then they go backwards the pendulum again, right? swings <laughs> right right i mean we're much more conservative yeah now than you know as a country than we were in the 1950s yeah and this is like you know what marissa I mean? you always say like it's the kids these days argument right like we're continuously oh coming back to that right it drives me crazy yeah <laughs> the kids these days it's like no people have literally been saying <laughs> she that just forever i know well i mean i i've read you know 17th century treatises of people being like oh my god kids these days <laughs> oh yeah like, co-ed dances and i'm like everybody comes down it's what the entire puritan sex episode is about right. <laughs> yeah that's all it is about right. is that everybody does the kids these days right, thing right, right. um i'm not gonna fall prey to that <laughs> okay you ready for another one last one which one there yeah what are your favorite history podcasts if you listen to them because not all of us do <laughs> Full disclosure, everyone. I don't listen to history podcasts. I just make them. I'm sorry. I don't listen to them regularly. Mm-hmm. I like American History Tellers. I like Uncivil. Sometimes mm-hmm. I like History Chicks, but I'm not a regular listener. Um, I'm not uh, a, a super big history podcast listener either. Um, 
Although I would say that I, I listen to individual episodes. Like I might not listen to like every single episode as they come out, but I will listen to individual episodes, especially if right. it's something that I'm really curious about it or that I am trying to work into like a lecture. I'm like, oh, I need, I'm like walking to the library. I need something like to explain, yeah. I don't know, something about Greek history, history to me really quickly. But other than that, I really loved Backstory, which I know is kind of coming to its conclusion right now. I learned a lot from Backstory and I use Backstory a lot. Um, Uncivil was fantastic and I've used that on many syllabuses. Um, we should give a shout out to our friends at Footnoting who do really great work too. Footnote, um, Footnoting is the first history podcast, or actually it's the first podcast ever mm. that I listen to. Um, I mean, uh-huh. years ago yeah. when podcasts weren't like a thing and I, that's the right. only history podcast I listened to and I, I loved yeah. it. Um, and we have lots of colleague podcasts at Recording History that are all fantastic and I will, you know, Again, I, I look to them when I need something to fill in an assignment for one week in a, in a syllabus. So um, I don't listen to them all the time, but I definitely, you know, rely on them. I will say that I assigned a couple of podcast options to my class this year, and I listened to episodes from them before I assigned them. And my favorites were Cocaine and Rhinestones. Never heard of that. Sounds amazing. <laughs> It's country, country music. Yeah, it's country music. Wait a minute. How have I never heard of this? This is like literally my life. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, you should. You cocaine should and rhinestones? Yeah, cocaine yeah, and rhinestones. Okay, I'm downloading that now. Um, And also Nice Try Utopian, which is all about utopian societies. Um, I, I listen to podcasts all day, every day, and it's always true crime for the most part. But I do listen to a few history podcasts, and those are um, history that doesn't suck. I really, really love it. It's. It's really good. It's American history, so I might not have the the breath that that um, I feel like I want, but it's um, really really good storytelling, um, and I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Um, and it is um, done by a history professor who is trying to make history accessible, just like us. And I really admire that. Um, and then mm-hmm. History Chicks, I have always loved. That's probably the second podcast I ever listened to. In life, they've been around for a very long time. I think since the early 2000, like maybe 2010. I mean, they've been around for a while. Um, and so that was probably the second podcast I ever listened to. Um, footnoting, I also loved. I just, uh, they had a really, they have like a, a lot of producers and they had a lot of changeover of producers and each specialized in different things. So um, over time, it would be a bit of an ebb and flow as to what I was interested in. There was someone for a while who was doing all like Napoleonic stuff, and I was like, "Yeah, that's my jam." Um, and then sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it would change. Um, so that's all just um, content related. But History Chicks is—I still listen to every single episode that comes out. Um, they are not historians at all, but I—I I grant them the <laughs> the title of honorary historians. I don't know if I have the power to do that. But they're really, really good. And um, their sources are um, incredible. And everything is very, very well researched. And it's biographically based. Um, but I know that um, Susan and Beckett, who are the the hosts, that they read, like, I mean, up to a dozen books per episode. It's it's abs- it's super intense. So I really love them. Um, mm-hmm. And they talk about women, which is cool. Their Annie Oakley episode, one right. of the best episodes ever. 
Awesome. Okay, last question. What are the dream topics that you would like to cover that you haven't yet covered on Dig? Hmm. It's so hard. It is hard because, like, we can pretty much do whatever we want. So. I can't. Yeah, we <laughs> shut yours down. Every time. time I'm like, I'm going to do this episode about the Civil War, you're all like, ugh. <laughs> Poor Sarah. I don't know. I don't want to say something and then like lock myself in. <laughs> and then be like, oh crap, now yeah. I really have to write that episode. I mean, I just want to talk uh, about no, like porn a, stuff. A tough if, question. If I, like, yeah. honestly, I would love to do just a porn series. And I mean, if you've seen 18th century porn, it's. It's ridiculous. It's great. <laughs> I mean, it's I love it, but it's it's absolutely insane, and it makes you wonder if these people have ever seen people have sex. Because it's like, <laughs> that's not how that works. I've talked to. Isn't that how all? Yeah, porn I mean, is? yeah. No, you're right. But Brian Watson, I've talked to him. Uh, I've talked to him about it about like 18th century porn. It's like, what's going on here? Like the they're not using perspective like nothing is like nothing any and, and they're like yeah that's just you know how 18th century porn is so i would say porn um 100 <laughs> i would say not so much a topic but in a future where i have more time i would like to again try an experimental episode with sort of the highly produced mm. with uh, sound effects and stuff and music yes. like we did with the um the victorian household yeah. yeah that one yeah. and then the one i love it with um uh progressive christians with we had a- mark Oh, Mark. oh, where we had a guest yeah. producer. Yeah. yeah, that one had a lot mm-hmm. of... Mark, it's same as Mark, right? Am I just making that up? Yeah. Yeah. Mark. Mark. No, yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Lemke. Lemke. Mark Lemke, yeah. yeah. That was a great those episode. Are, those are cool it episodes. was good. But yeah, like April said, like yeah. that's a lot of time. In a future mm-hmm. far, far... When we can afford to hire a, uh, a an editor and producer to do Hey, that us, will be right? me, actually, because yeah. I'm 100% unemployed. So yeah, I will... We can afford to pay ourselves. Yeah. Hello. So once we're... We can afford to, to pay me. Um, yeah, we can... I would love to... Yeah, that I would love to do contributors more often um, and follow the... The... Um, the layout of, like, Nursing Cleo. I just... I really admire that. The, the whole kind of, like... Mm-hmm. You know... Um, regular contributor versus ad hoc mm-hmm. contributor sort of thing that would be great mm-hmm. that would be awesome that would be interesting and it would certainly broaden our horizons a little bit in terms of what kinds of stuff we could present mm-hmm. right? oh yeah um like right now we we certainly try really hard to do episodes that are global and transnational and things like that um but there's language problem you know there's language barriers like Avril in your Japan eugenics episode right like there's only so much research you can do because you don't speak or read Japanese yeah. um i came across you know, that, that in my that, um in the episode i just did about recogimiento it's like 99% right, right. of the scholarship is in portuguese or spanish right and i don't and i came across that in my yeah, holocaust I don't episode speak those um, yeah. <laughs> right i think if i was I don't know. I have a hard time answering this because I feel like I get so often to do dream yeah. topics, right? Like things that you're like, oh, I just really want to know about that. Yeah. Um, I think that gaps that I have, like things that I would like to do more of, um, I want to do more Native American history and um, Western history in general. Yeah. 
because that's something that we've done a few episodes on, but I would like to have more coverage on that. And I really loved getting to do that episode as, as it was one of the most difficult episodes I did, but on disability and the Holocaust. Um, but it, it, it sparked a desire to do more sort of um, World War II and, and kind of yeah. Nazi history, Holocaust history um, in general, just partly because I just want to learn more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are lots of there are lots of things I still want. I still wish Elizabeth did an episode about um, the printing presses in the Southwest that you did your article about. Oh yeah, like I, I that, that kind of stuff. Hovita, <laughs> the right? Southwest What's is like name? I mean like no I think the Southwest is an area that is like booming yeah. right now in terms of um, academic. Well, I shall and, do more of that. <laughs> I mean, I just I just think it's super interesting. Um, and in a place yeah. that's kind of neglected, I think just because of a little bit less population. It's funny because I feel like I've done like three or four Borderlands episodes already, so I don't want to like. <laughs> you have no, you know, you have, but I think a lot of them are with um, history buffs with with Dan, right? Weren't they? Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Moving forward, great. I definitely want to do some more. Um, like I need to push myself further into the 20th century so i really want to look at some like you know uh the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s the black panther movement black power um Mm -hmm. those are some areas we we do have sort of a dearth of 20th late yeah later 20th which is crazy because i love 20th century history yeah me too like i Mm -hmm. teach it all the time i mean that's what i'm i'm teaching 20th century history right now and you it's just right the new right, like sixties feminism, civil rights movement, Black Panthers, Black Power, all that. It's yeah, we don't have we don't have yeah. that. So I'll be teaching, I'll be teaching that next year. So that's kind of where I'm thinking too. So nice. I'll be kind of leaning that direction. Hopefully, I'm looking yeah. forward to it, and I hope I'm on the episodes with you because I love that. Well, story. and I was thinking I would do that for this last sex episode, but then April made me do something on Niagara Falls. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the 20th century. I learned, I learned things from it. I, I'm, I'm glad. And I, you know, I was thinking about like, to hear the it. honeymoon and like post-war honeymoon and, you know, nuclear families and sex and, oh my God, you know, I can't, heterosexuality, I can't to to it. like it's, it's kind of cool. So I like yeah. it a lot. It's a good episode. I'm really looking forward to it. It's coming soon and that's a great place to wrap this baby <laughs> it up. is yeah so perfect here here's our 99th episode coming live to you and next week uh the next episode you listen to will be our 100th episode uh we're revisiting our sex series because that was the first series that we launched as dig uh what's the first step ago. what's the first Ooh, which what's the first episode up it's probably gonna be why not we'll just we'll give them the one that's been previewed here the 1950s and early 19th century honeymoon there we go. Niagara the Falls, honeymooners. A little, a little New York, uh, a little New York. New York history of the Canadian. Well, and in doing it, I was like, oh, I'm talking about Canada a lot. We haven't ever done anything Canadian history. Maybe. I did a French Canadian oh, episode. Oh, Canadian. you did. That's only right. one. Oh, it's that's only, right. I mean, there's only one. Yeah. That we did, but that's oh, it. Yeah, that's, we need to do more Canada. Yeah. We do. Oh, we need some Canada. 
technically Northwest. I was thinking was that's the one I was thinking of. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Two. Give you credit. Whatever. Very technically speaking, we're about to have our third with this Niagara Falls episode. So that's yes. thanks for joining us. All those of all those of you who joined us for the live recording, thank you for coming. Yes, it's a pleasure to like talk to people's faces in addition to each yeah. other. We see too much of each other and not enough of you all. Uh, thank you uh, for supporting us through these three years. It's been a wild ride. It's been a joy to bring this history to you and we will continue to do so, so long as we can breathe and use these microphones and computers. So and long as we can breathe. Okay, we're committed to this well, till the not, end. We shouldn't take <laughs> yeah. that for granted right now. Yeah. Don't actually quote me for that. Okay, that all right, yeah. Um, you can follow us if you aren't already on Twitter, Facebook. You can uh, join our Himalaya member community uh, on the Himalaya app, which is a really handy dandy uh, app to uh, get access to all your favorite podcasts like you would on sort of Apple Podcasts or Google Play. But instead of just seeing the episodes, you can actually sort of get special member content like all of our episodes ad free. Um, you can, uh, if you're an educator, you can check us out on Lyceum, another new podcasting app uh, that curates educational podcast lists. So if you are teaching about the Great Depression, there's probably a curated list in there for you. If you're an um, educator, are, or even if you're yeah. a parent who is suddenly crisis homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. So uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks for sticking around with us these three years. And we look forward to many years more and many hundred more episodes. Yeah. Here's to <laughs> 100 more. 100 Yay! more. Woo! We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.